This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Uh, it's my great honour now to welcome onto the show one of Australia's greatest ever Olympians, Lydia Lassila, Olympic gold medalist, five-time Winter Olympian, who won gold in 2010, the Vancouver Olympics in the aerials, winner of the Don Award from the Australian Sport Hall of Fame in 2010 for her ability to inspire a nation, and that she did. Also won bronze in the aerials in Sochi, Russia, 2014, and broke the all-time mark for women in sport with the quad-twisting triple somersault, four twists in three flips, one of the most extraordinary things we saw at the Sochi Games 2014. Lydia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lockie. It's great to be here. Well, honestly, it's just, as I say, you're one of Australia's greatest ever Olympians. The Olympics is the ultimate in sport, so it is an honour to have you on the show. And now what you're achieving with your company, Body Ice, Body Ice, it's just extraordinary in terms of from a business point of view, it's magnificent, but more importantly, like the impact you're having on people's wellness, well-being, health and fitness, and the way you're using sports technology to bring that into fruition is extraordinary. And the origin story of Body Ice is a beautiful thing as well, because it's something that came probably at the lowest time in your life, certainly from a professional point of view. In 2006, you tore your ACL, your left knee in a water jump training accident. You had radical surgery, reconstruction, and allograph. Uh, Lydia, can you just tell us what an allograph is? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a donor tissue. So basically, to be less invasive on my own tissues um, and to kind of get back to the Olympics in the shortest time frame as possible. We opted for something that was a little bit experimental at the time, a bit more um, common now, which is an allograft. So it's a donor tissue. Um, yeah. And this one was an, part of an Achilles tendon that um, that was uh, obviously, you know, super grateful for. Um, and then that was replacing, I guess, my anterior cruciate ligament in my knee. So rather than using like my hamstring tendon or a patella tendon for my own body, it was um, chosen to be less invasive that way. So unfortunately, I bloody tore the thing again. So I felt really, really bad after that. <laughs> but, I mean, well, I mean, how extraordinary though. So you're eight months out from the Turin Olympics 2006, you do your knee, then you have this extraordinary surgery, which for its time, I mean, even now, but for its time, you know, 20 years ago, best part of mm. so radical cutting edge, it's all about sports science and health science. So you have, you know, a, an ankle put into your knee, essentially, mm. they get you right for the Olympics. And then, as you say, you know, just absolutely shattering, you go into those games, despite the injury, every favorite to win gold. And on your second jump, land awkwardly, and you tear that injured knee apart again. Then you have another Rico extensive rehab through 2007. Um, and through that time, you discover this overwhelming need for something better in terms of ice therapy and maintenance and, and the, the way you can help rehab and care for an injury and recovery. But can I just ask, and that, that forms body ice, but 
From a mental point of view, like after that, doing your knee twice in the space eight months, the Olympic dream at that point at least was over. Like, how were you feeling? Oh, completely shattered. You know, you put in so much effort to obviously in any Olympic campaign or any major project you have, any major competition. But this was compounded by having to come back from a, a knee surgery and a knee reconstruction essentially when you should be going in there the favourite and well prepared. So, you know, there's a lot of fear and anxiety and lost confidence um, throughout that, you know, period leading into the Olympics. Um, but you manage to, through a lot of, uh, and it's probably something I'll probably talk a lot about today, through a lot of mental training and confidence yeah. kind of preservation um, to get back, you know, to that world-class level. So when you do all that and you're in the right spot, and you, you know, it was just basically bad timing because I, I learned afterwards that graphs go through phases of strengthening and weakening and, and unfortunately, at that mark, it was definitely going through a bit of a spat and a, and a period of weakening. So it was completely blown up and inflamed and um, and a bit of a ticking time bomb. So, you know, it's it's pretty shattering, you know, in elite sport, particularly, I think, extreme sports that are, um, you know, you're not just dealing with the pressures of competition and the, the training regimes, but you're you're also putting, you know, yourself at some kind of risk um, mm. constantly. <laughs> so totally. you never know if you're going to get another chance. And that that's probably how I felt at that time. It's like, you know, I know I can be the best at this sport. I know I've got yeah. everything it takes. Yeah. Um, but I, right now I don't know if I'm ever going to get another chance because, you know, this knee and I don't know if I'm going to fully recover and yeah. get back to or beyond you know what what where i am now so it's it's a disheartening kind of um lost time and i think back now it's you know nearly 20 years as you said so i think back now and it's like it's just a bloody knee you know <laughs> and you know and and um looking back now it's no big deal but at the time my world it felt like my world was crashing down so it was um significant and it was a big catalyst for a lot of changes both mentally physically and uh, and professionally as well well i mean it's extraordinary and and just to sort of put that in some further context there's a quote i've seen you say before that when i was a little girl my dream was to go to the olympics going for greatness in a sport and doing something no one else has done was more important so that's the mindset you'd have from a young kid you know initially as a gymnast and then getting into winter sports um you always wanted that greatness. And then at that stage, 2006, it seems like perhaps it's not going to happen. So in that time, those sort of depths of despair, you were able to do something amazing and start your business, Body Ice. Can you tell us about the gap you saw in the market through your own recovery? You realize that, hey, there's some real problems in terms of ice therapy. And then the way that you've been able to start that business at that point. Can you take us through that time, Lydia? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> true i guess i i look at it now and I'm like blowing my knee out twice in the space of you know six months or whatever it was was probably the best thing that could have happened to me um <laughs> but essentially um when i've you know had endured a lot of injuries and um and when i first blew my knee um 
you know, obviously it blown up. It was super, super swollen. So protocol was to to ice and try and get swelling down and and get that pain, natural pain relief, rather than taking analgesics and you know ibuprofens and and other drugs that can actually really impair the healing process. So, um, so I was training in the States at the time and had some ac access to some cold therapy products that didn't exist in Australia, but they still weren't quite right. They were fairly generic in their, in their design, um, in terms of not really being joint specific, um, and were a bit bulky and awkward and inefficient really <laughs> for yeah. what I needed. I needed to be able to ice on an aeroplane or on a train or, or, you know, wherever I was out of, yeah. from the gym into the car. And, um, and so that's the kind of product that I was after. And in Australia, it just didn't exist. So I was frustrated and it was something that I really needed, um, for my recovery and, and for my pain management and, and swelling in particular, because it would, blow up quite quite regularly so um so after i blew my knee out for the second time in, in at the olympics i remember sitting in the in the cafeteria of the you know the athlete village and had this shopping bag of ice at that time balancing on my knee and and was in a world of pain i guess physically but mentally and emotionally as well pretty down in the dumps and i had some friends yeah. around and it was you know this bag's leaking and slipping I had a big puddle underneath me and and I was just frustrated, so I picked it up and threw it down on the ground and said someone needs to make a decent bloody ice pack that doesn't leak and slip all over the place. <laughs> so basically, ping, you know, light bulb goes off and I knew I was having 12 months out and everyone's like, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> you needed ice for everything basically. Um, and heat too. I used a lot of heat therapy. So the criteria was that it needed to be both it needed to offer that cold com cold compression as well as provide some uh heating element as well so a very basic and simple product really but it just didn't exist at the time and so i i flew home and i couldn't sleep on the plane i remember flying back with james tompkins an olympic rower that was i think babysitting me on the way back and he was fast asleep and i was like that bugger i can't sleep so i got my journal out and which was something i would write in you know obviously and yeah. do all my mental prep in and unpack a day and all of that kind of thing and um I just started sketching. I started sketching what would be the first kind of concepts of body ice and these joint-specific straps that would then lock in a basic ice pack and bag in place so that you could ice on the go and it's affordable and got, gives you that kind of compression at the same time that you needed. Mm. So, And it was joint-specific. So um, I hit the ground kind of limping <laughs> and <laughs> got packing straight away. I had surgery and and you know going through the ringmaroll again a process of that yeah. um this time you know with a traditional um hamstring tendon so um you know and i think back now like that even going through the allograft at the time like i think i was it was one of the first ones my surgeon had ever done you know and he's a really reputable top knee surgeon in australia yeah. so there was so many unknowns even then, like um, with, you know, the, the physical trainers and physiotherapists that I was working closely with, like no one really knew how it would hold up. And so 
it was an experiment and you know i was skiing after eight weeks and they're like this shouldn't be happening like but yeah. everything was all right do you know what i mean like we were, i was yeah. very careful we were very careful and cautious um but it when i think back now i'm just like jesus i don't i only had one option was and it was to try you know yeah. but there was so many unknowns um so yeah next time around hamstring tendon you know knew a lot more and and i was going to give myself a lot more time um and have a good 12 months off to just regroup and and recover physically but also recover you know mentally so that and emotionally because it's physical trauma is also you know that mental trauma and and getting back on the horse isn't so easy and being able to see into the future at that point in time and who who you could become confidently isn't easy either. So I had a lot of work to do on that front, um, which I invested heavily in on in that time off and got cracking in, in starting body ice. So I found some suppliers um, offshore and and trekked over to China because no one would make them in Australia at the time. So oh. I just came into roadblock and roadblock and they're like no we're not doing this we're not doing that we can't do this we can't do that so I'm like well who can do it and so I found some suppliers and went on over and um and just started the process and showed my designs and and um got the samples made and away we went so I remember hobbling into my knee surgeon's (laughs) office with the you know, container was already landed. Stock was in the warehouse. I had no idea how I was going to sell it yet. But, yeah. um, and I just assumed it would be to, you know, athletes and weekend warriors and physiotherapists and things like that. But it, um, yeah, he, he, he was like, what, what is that? Well, this is, you know, this is body ice. This is my new ice or a heat pack that just stays in place and stays cold. <laughs> and doesn't move or slip around and he's like wow i'll order 500 of those so i just found (laughs) instantly my target market who were orthopedics and um yeah and ventured down that way pretty much straight away so it was a one woman show for for many years just having someone in warehouse and and packing and i wasn't really putting much effort into the business at all because i was still a full-time athlete and yeah had that as still the priority and this was a little bit of a side venture because I feel, felt like if I was going through it, you know, chances are a lot of other people were too. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's kind of the lane we we ventured into and obviously with the, the um, you know, the increase now of replacement uh, surgery and knees, shoulders, backs, hips, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there's there, the market isn't just athletes, obviously it's um, anyone undergoing kind of any orthopedic surgery, um, but also replacement surgery and ranging from, you know, whatever age to about 90. So yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting journey. And over the years, as it's grown or, or organically um you know brought on new new ranges and new products and new and more people so it's um it's always been a remote business which is why i can live in arctic finland because i yeah. at the time it had to be because i was still an athlete traveling for 10 months of the year so yeah um yeah it's been a fun it's been a fun journey and there's you know definitely more 
I want to do and um, I think I'm a little bit of a serial entrepreneur in that way because I'm mm. always looking to new technologies and wanting to <laughs> and interested in, in other things that can improve healing essentially but but improve and and recovery and get people back with confidence I suppose to what they were doing before and, and again beyond. Well, the proof is in the pudding because so your comeback story as an athlete is just sublime. So 2009, after being a four-time runner-up at World Cup level, you 03, 04, 05, 08, so you've been second best a lot and you know, you've done the knee twice and you've had to overcome all those sort of demons to get back out there. In 2009, you win the World Championships. You become a world champion for the first time. You also won the 2009 World Cup title. So you go into Vancouver 2010 games as the favourite. Um, what was that like, that 2009 year, where, as you say, you know, you got the mental, the emotional, not to mention the physical recovery healing that has to go on. You're in the absolute depths of despair. You've created this amazing business that's really got a need. So tick there. But to your athlete journey that you've been aspiring for and desiring from being a young kid onwards. Uh, tell us about 2009, that comeback year, and then let's get into 2010 and the year that you became an Olympic champion. Yeah, I think it was an important, um, really important, because I wasn't long off after you know that kind of road back to full performance and peak performance. So, um, you know, <laughs> to have... To, to see or to to do so much work, I think, physically but also equally mentally and to see that pay out in dividends was um, super exciting at the time and it was like I'm coming back from whatever I've gone through so much stronger than, than what I was before and it almost felt like I'd set, you know, my trajectory and obviously the aim was was Vancouver 2010 I kind of work in Olympics <laughs> cycles yeah. and 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 so that was the aim so even in 2009 I, I wasn't at my max yet and I, I but I knew that my trajectory was kind of set and that I was much I was mentally more capable physically recovered and strong um, but on my way and I think that was exciting for me because it just showed that that, that what I was doing was working. Um, whereas before I'd kind of hit a bit of an up and down cycle of, you know, yeah, uh, kind of being in, injured a lot and kind of um, competing not at full capacity, not at that kind of physically, but then also mentally and emotionally because when you're not feeling physically comfortable yeah. or you're in pain, you start to doubt and your confidence dips and, and that's how I was competing and I was – it was frustrating because I was still number two in the world. Yeah. But I was like, oh, imagine if I was healthy, I'd just annihilate everybody. Yeah. So it, was, yeah. it was um, it was a kind of frustrating place to be. So 2009 was just like, okay, I've sorted some things out here, mm. and I'm on my way. So it just set up the the building blocks and the foundations for then me to progress to the next level, which was starting to do, you know, triple somersaults to a to a level that was, you know, quality to the same quality that the men were doing. And that was my aim is to prove that it was possible for women. So, so um, with good planning, um, you know, my injuries were managed 
a lot lot better. We had a lot more resources to play with. I had more financial freedom to to um, invest in other areas of my well-being. So whether I needed extra psychological support or an extra physio at a camp or whatever it might be, I just had more financial freedom to do that because I was earning an income, you know, and not just relying on on um, sponsorship that kind of, you know, comes in and out as, 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 as you probably know and yeah. definitely more so for Olympic athletes where uh, you're not so much contracted, you know, you don't get a, a wage as such um, yeah. and sponsorship is quite sporadic. So I came, I was in a better place that way and just more um, secure, I suppose, yeah. in everything. Yeah, and amazing the role that Body Ice played in that, you know, to help, once again, the career helped create Body Ice and Body Ice helped, you know, furnish the career even further. Um, what about that moment you become an Olympic champion? How did that feel? There's 99.99999% of us will never know that feeling. What is it like? Oh, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible um, feeling when everything kind of works to plan, I think. We all feel that when, you know, you plan for something, you put in the detail and you put in the work and then it comes to fruition. Um, you know, it is an amazing feeling and I don't think it matters what endeavour you're in. Mm. Um, and in sport, <laughs> you can't really fudge the numbers. You can't really hide. You, can't, you know, you either do it or you don't and the results right. show. And that's what I love about sport. Um, so on that night, yeah, I just felt so ready and so prepared and leading into it, you know, I felt like there's this kind of pulling action, I guess, towards becoming, um, you know, that, that future Lydia that I wanted to be. And, um, when, you know, I landed my second jump and I knew that, that, um, I'd done the best I could and put myself in a gold medal position. Yeah you know, all that kind of stress and anticipation and anxiety and, you know, you, you, you're trying to control so much of your process, I guess, up until that point. Um, yeah. It's just all released and in an instant and replaced by just complete bliss. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you're floating essentially, like noises are, it's weird. It's just such on a, you're in the zone, you know, and, and you're on such high alert and, um then that just all dissipates once you, once the job's done and replaced by just this euphoric feeling of being on cloud nine. So it's, yeah, it's it's a nice feeling. Hopefully one I won't forget. It sounds wonderful. It sounds so good. <laughs> um, and you describe it so wonderfully well too. Um, now, 2014, you did something that um, had never been done by a woman before. And there's another quote of yours that I've read, uh, playing it safe is not my style, and indeed it was not. And there is a documentary that is based all around what you did in 2014 Sochi Olympics, where first woman ever to complete a quad twisting triple somersault. So that's four twists in three flips. And the documentary is The Will to Fly. And uh, George Gregan, actually, who's uh, a friend of yours who I interviewed just recently, he actually recommended that I watch this Fantastic. because I said, oh, I'm, I'm interviewing Lydia, actually, you know, soon. And so it's just an extraordinary <laughs> thing. Yes, I know. And it's, it's amazing. You've got you know, one of the greatest Wallabies, one of our greatest Olympians, and the fact that there's that camaraderie and sort of mutual admiration between the two of you encouraging each other and, and all this. It's a wonderful thing to see in Australia's sort of sport folklore. Um, 
But in this documentary, I know you say that in 1999, for the first time, I think it was at Mount Buller, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but you saw guys that were doing this particular trick and you were like, all right, if they can do it, I can do it. Can you tell us about just having a crack at, at doing this sort of most extraordinary thing, first woman to ever do it, the quad-twisting triple somersault? Well, when I first saw it, I could barely ski at the time, so I, I think I was a little <laughs> bit naive <laughs> and a little bit cocky because it bloody took me 14 years to get there. So, but I got there. But, um, no, I think I grew up with three older brothers, so I think, and, you know, they never let me do anything. They never let me win anything, and I was always trying to be as good as them and, and their equals. So I think that mentality came probably from them. God love them. But, um, I, yeah, I just saw this gap between the male and female aerial skiers and um and so for me the inspiration were always to look to the best in the world i don't look to the best woman and i don't look to the best man i just look at who is the best and how do i do that and how do i replicate that so um and that's what i did throughout my whole career i would kind of compare techniques and you know video analysis um on who was doing a certain skill um, at 95% of the world's best because no one is perfect, I don't mm-hmm. think. Well, some people are, but <laughs> I was happy with 95% of the world's best. So yeah. I'd kind of set my benchmark, not at perfection, but who was doing this the best and just copy yeah. and look and analyse and and um, steal strategies if I could, basically. So asking, you know, maybe a Belarusian jumper, what do you feel when you do this type of trick or when you come into this landing because I'm having certain trouble with this aspect. So what do you feel? What do you see? And so then, you know, they would kind of tell me willingly, which is great. And then I would go and visualise that and role play visualisation and jump into mode that way and make the changes mentally and then the next day go out and have a crack and do it. So there's, there's so much, I think, when we talk about sports tech, you know, we've got, we talk mostly about technological advances, which is amazing because it's just making athletes' lives and coaches easier, um, you know, and there's, 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 there's a lot to that. But from my experience at the end of the day, um, it hasn't been the best equipment um, or, you know, it hasn't been the best equipment that's dictated, you know, amazing performances. It's really... The, the difference has been what's in between uh, for me. Yeah. What's been what 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 has been between the ears? What's going on there? Yeah. Um, that, that would really dictate you know an optimal performance and and I think in sport you know confidence is king. Mm. Like in business, cash is king. Yeah. <laughs> but in sport, it really doesn't matter how much money you have to throw at it or or the best equipment if you don't have the confidence in yourself, in your team, in your plan, um, and execute the details and do the work, Mm. then you're leaving a lot more to chance. And so that's kind of what I I mentor athletes now and 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 I try to to help them um develop those skills so that they are mentally resilient and prepared and can handle any situation and yeah. I feel I found that you know real power um, in visualization, and worked a lot with my mental training coach Jeffrey Hodges, who's out of Queensland, and um, yeah. and 
the times when I was injured and down and out, you know, I replaced the physical training that I couldn't do with mental rehearsal and, and visualization, which meant that by the time I got back to jumping again physically, things came very quickly and it was almost like I hadn't left. So I realized the power of it and that's why I say, I mean, technological advances in sport are amazing and equipment and everything that we have today and will have in the future and analysis and being able to measure things, but we haven't quite been able to measure the effects of, you know, visualization. It's all kind of anecdotal and, um, Mm. but I really think it's, um, it's a really massive factor. So with Body Ice as well, we've developed some, with Jeffrey Hodges, I developed some um, visualization tracks so that basically themed. So we've got one for healing, uh, which is a relaxation followed by, by visualization. And then we've got one for coping with adversity. So if you've had some type of setback, the skill is in, in being able to let that go and visualize a, a better future or a possible scenario in the future, not holding on or, or, you know, because that, I mean, if you've had a very traumatic injury or, or a bad conversation at work, you start thinking yeah. about that, it gets you in a pretty bad mood, right? Or, yeah. you, you know, all the physiological feelings come back. Mm. And so teaching people how to let go of what's happened in the past and reframe it into something that you actually want to happen in the future and then um, our third one is, yeah, confidence, confident future self-visualisation, which for me was like probably the most powerful right. one and most powerful technique where you connect and you start a dialogue with your future self. And so you have a relaxation, you, you know, rela- you go through a relaxation process and then yeah. you imagine a, a future self that you, you want to be because when you think about it, there's... A million different future selves, right? Very true. Could, yeah. Millions of different possibilities of, of where our life could end up. And mm. so this kind of makes you focus on the one that you actually really want yeah. and um, start opening up a bit of a dialogue with that future self. Now I'm getting a bit woo woo, but ultimately. No, 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 it's good. This is good stuff. Ultimately, you start to. Um, answer your own kind of questions basically yeah. and um and and once you start opening like that dialogue in terms of okay what what would you what did you do in this situation and i'm here yeah. now how did you get from there and then they're like well you could do this do this this and this and this and then you start answering basically your own questions you got yeah. instinct you know and following that and it's a really powerful technique so when we talk about you know vancouver and winning olympic gold that <laughs> and that euphoric feeling for me it was yeah. those two people colliding and becoming yeah. you know that one yeah. so it's cool stuff and i think it's untapped largely and um i think we're becoming more mindful obviously and mindfulness techniques are mm-hmm. are definitely uh, more practiced these days which is amazing mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just learning coping strategies and putting them to practice, um, visualising how do you know, increase motivation and all of those kinds of things are really the kickers in terms of getting an athlete from A to B and through some rocky patches. 
And I mean, it is, thank you so much for sharing this sort of insight because I mean, it is, it, it's so powerful and particularly listening to you talk about it because it's not just sort of nice theory that someone wrote on Instagram. This is real. You've lived it. You've experienced it. You were pre-2010 Olympic gold doing this sort of stuff. And as you say, it then actually came to reality in 2010 as the two things collide at once. I mean, amazing. Um, do you reckon that this is perhaps the next wave of sort of sports tech, if you will, that, that you know, rather than it just being a Garmin watch, we're actually starting to get into this stuff. And I know you've got your toe in the water with doing these visualization tracks within your current construct of body ice. But do you reckon this is perhaps where you might push next big time into this space, Lydia? I think so. It's definitely an interest of mine. It's probably not the only interest, but it's definitely something I like talking about because I know it kind of, you know, works. And for me, it's realising that people that have had any kind of orthopaedic trauma or injury, it's not just physical, it's mental as well. They've got to come back, you know, and recover back to a period of where they were pre-injury. Um, and beyond that, and that's not just physically working out in the gym and it's not the latest, greatest sports tech in terms of wearables and, and you know, compression wear or whatever. It is grit and it's um, being able to visualise and see your path forward and it's confidence building and it's all of those coping skills that really get get through, you know, from a, on a day-to-day day basis and celebrating those little wins and milestones along the way. So yeah. I think it's a really important part of being an athlete. I think it's an important part of any high performance, um, whether that whether you're, you know, singing on stage to 50,000 people or, <laughs> or yeah. you know, competing in an arena. Um, yeah. It's that level of confidence clarity motivation and a strong pull and desire to where you yeah. want to go which is why we do this you know why we yeah. want to do this and i think that has a big part to play um and a big role to play and definitely something that you know i like to tap into a lot more well and i think you you sort of you're coming in at the right time with this sort of line of thought because i think you know what we've seen over the last 10 years or so and it's going to keep accelerating, of course, is wonderful innovation in technology. But of course, the tech has to be applied to the human being. And I think that sort of conduit to humanity is perhaps the piece in the puzzle that hasn't quite been mastered. So I think the fact that you're coming in, it's, it's the right place, right time, I think. Um, but now the thing is, you also have a, a great uh, academic background as well. So you completed a, a degree in applied science, human movement at RMIT University. That I'm sure would have only helped further what you're doing with Body Ice. Can you tell us the latest with Body Ice, what you're doing, what the next moves are, and also Body Ice Women and what you're doing in that space around women's health um, and sort of around childbirth, pregnancy, and this sort of thing where you're trying to help uh, impact not just sort of in a sporting sense, but in a whole of life sense with Body Ice? Yeah, it's always been born out of experience, I suppose, everything that I've ever created and, um, you know, not long after I, you know, had a, won an Olympic gold medal, I had a baby and realised that um, women after childbirth definitely need some relief in terms of um, before they're breastfeeding, when their milk comes in, as well as, you know, if you're giving, uh, 
having a natural birth, you're pretty bloody swollen down there and in a lot of pain. And so I was handed some gauze and some ice cubes <laughs> wrapped up oh, no. and hey, chuck that down your knickers. And I think it was just really gross and wet and disgusting and tacky. And and I'm like, oh, us mums deserve something a little bit more than this. So that was the inspiration behind Body Ice Woman range. I remember going, getting back from um, hospital and, and look, you don't, I'm going to get into the nitty gritty now of, of breastfeeding, but basically your milk comes in and it comes in violently. Oh. <laughs> and so you feel like you're exploding essentially. So a little education lesson here on what, what happens. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if you've, uh, you've been privy to it yet. Um, no, no. No, there you go. Um, so I had my trusty body ice, ice bags that I grabbed and got ready and just was like, oh, thank goodness, some relief, you know, from the cold therapy. Yeah. And so... So that was the catalyst behind Body Ice Woman. We created um, breast ice and heat packs as well as um, perineal ice and heat packs for mm. for new mums. Um, but then since, you know, they've had greater application into any kind of um, breast surgery, whether it's breast cancer patients or, mm. um, you know, uh, PMS kind of um, mm. uh, situations as well and symptoms. So, yeah, it's um, it's been, that's been a kind of natural evolution. So when we started that in 2015, yeah, no one was doing it and now there's like thousands of competitors. So it's a pretty competitive market now, but obviously that proves there's a need for, for that kind of support post-childbirth. And I think we give, you know, mom, new mums flowers and, and fluffy slippers and, <laughs> and things like that, but really what they need is some kind of instant <laughs> relief. Yeah. Um, which then progressed on to body ice kids, same thing with kids, you know, try putting a, an ice pack on a child and they're terrified of them and they're like too cold yeah. and they're too frightening. So um, that was the evolution of body ice kids, which is kind of fun and friendly ice packs for children and first aid that um, come with straps and hold them in place and they're quite tactile. So they're not, they're not scary. So that kind of has been encompassing the body ice range, but now we're venturing into more women's health products as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, just looking into how we can expand body ice recovery items as well and talking and listening to what surgeons want has been interesting over the years. It's been interesting to see what new competitor products come into the market. Um, I personally am more utilising contrast therapy now, whether that's <laughs> dumping into a frozen Arctic lake um, <laughs> and then followed by something warm, which yeah. I'm also doing on some chronic injuries, you know, applying that same kind of practice on, you know, chronic injuries, whether I've had from sport, so obviously my knees and at the moment a bit of a shoulder and elbow and and so just playing around with, with um the effects of having the hot versus the cold and both at the same, not at the same time, but contrasting the two rather than just mm. one or the other. So there's, yeah, there's there's lots I really would love to kind of delve into as well. And I mean, even PM, like PMF um, mats and things like that, pulse magnetic kind of, mm. you know, technology that anything that's really revolving into uh, looking into healing and the recovery process and reducing you know that inflammation um 
and a lot of it, you know, chronic, chronic inflammation. And it's, once you start kind of going into it, it's, it's to do with diet. It's to do with <laughs> how you're coping with stress and managing those yeah. things. So it's, um, it's uh, all encompassing and very, very interesting. I've always been interested in how the body responds to different stresses, um, both mentally and physically. And, and I've been privy to the effects of that. So ultimately I just want to help people as well, um, recover through and, and heal and, and get through wherever they, they are, I think with, in terms of pain and inflammation. Well, that's what you've been doing now for, as we've been saying, you know, best part of 20 years. It is amazing. And, and just the fact that, you know, it started in a cafeteria after your Olympic dreams were broken in 2006. You got the bag with the ice that's sort of flooding over. You come up with that. And then obviously, as you said, after, you know, the birth of your first son, uh, being given gauze, a couple of ice cubes. And so it's that practical application. But, you know, it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to actually go and do it. And that's what you've done. Um, hey, with ASTN, now you're on board now as an ambassador of Australian sports technology and and as an organisation, they couldn't have a better person than yourself. And also George Gregan now repping Australian sports tech out there on the world stage. As You live in Finland now, you've represented Australia, world champion. Um, how excited are you about promoting Australian sports technology and the innovators and creators in Australia helping to get them out on the world stage and achieve just like you have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, very humbling to be an ambassador for such a, a wonderful organization and something that I'm very passionate about, even just learning from George and learning from the network is going to be an amazing opportunity for me. Um, I know we've got something coming up in, you know, in Europe, which is exciting. I'll be able to like live participate and, yeah. <laughs> and which is great for me because I, I've wanted to, you know, expand into Europe um, for some time now. And we have in certain aspects, you know, into, in terms of our orthopedic products, but um, I just certainly want to bring, you know, body ice woman to, to new territories as well. So yeah. being part of that network, um, you know, is super important. And I think, you know, Australia at, at, you know, just looking at some of the tech emerging out of Australia. Um, I, I, I saw that you'd interviewed um, 776 BC and, you know, and they're just doing, you know, really, really cool, amazing things, um, particularly with obviously Olympics and we're preparing rowers and things like that with just motion detectors and all kinds of things and so just to be a part of that and to see those companies emerging into new markets and um, going global is really really cool and exciting well lydia thank you so much for your time um i know you got to go and hit the slopes now you're going for a ski which is so cool i can only imagine how how much fun it is living <laughs> in that beautiful part of the world that you do in Finland. I know you're back in Australia regularly and it, it's great having you back. I mean, your story is an extraordinary one from the fact that, you know, you only took up skiing sort of late 90s, a couple of years later, you become an Olympian. And then, you know, eight years later, you become an Olympic world champion. Thanks so much for, for sharing your story. And, and it's just so cool seeing the way that you've been able to run an epic career in sport in parallel with an epic career in business. And as you say, you know, you bring in the humanity to it, Lydia, and uh, we very much appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Lucky. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge. 
for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.